This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is a mile long and growing by the day. One way to cross off more of those titles is to always have an audiobook downloaded on your phone so you can sneak some extra reading in while you're getting ready or cooking dinner. One new audiobook getting rave early reviews is The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mickey Brammer, a big-hearted and life-affirming debut about a death doula in New York City who's been so busy caring for others at the end of their lives that she's forgotten how to live her own until the final wishes of a feisty old woman send her on a trip across the country. The audiobook also includes a special bonus conversation between the author and narrator Jennifer Pickens, which really adds to the reading experience. Start listening to The Collected Regrets of Clover by debut author Mickey Brammer now wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Bobinski, and today my guest is Lee McMullen Abramson, author of one of my favorite books of the year, A Likely Story, which is perfect for anyone missing the reading experience of Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which I certainly was. A Likely Story has received rave reviews and been called a literary page turner and a dishy, sophisticated story, and it is certainly a standout debut. Lee McMullen, Abramson has worked as a lawyer and a journalist. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, and more. A Likely Story is her first novel. Lee lives in New York City and Vermont with her husband and children. Lee, thank you for coming on A Bookish Home, and congratulations on A Likely Story. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Yes, I. as soon as I sort of started diving into this book, I just kind of fell in love with the story. I love books about books and when there's sort of a novel within a novel and reading about the writing life and I'm sure a lot of listeners are in the same boat so I think people are really going to enjoy this one and want to pick it up. So for listeners who haven't gotten to um, take a look yet can you tell us more about this family of writers that we meet in the book and Isabel in particular? Sure. So Isabel Manning is the daughter of an iconic novelist, her father, Ward Manning, and she is trying to become a novelist herself. But when the book opens, she is struggling. She is 35. She has not published a novel. She um, is feeling very dire about her situation. And on top of that, her mother has just passed away suddenly. So um, we meet her in sort of a a low point. Uh, After her mother passes away, she goes out to her parents' house in Long Island to spend a weekend with her father, who has never been an an active parent in her life, let's say. Uh, She reveres him, but he's never really been the one to parent her. And shortly after this weekend, uh, Isabel does finally find success and is able to publish a book. But as the story unfolds, we see that her real troubles are only beginning. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting sort of examining what literary success even means. And yes, its relation to happiness. I, Mm -hmm. as an aspiring writer myself, I just thought that was all so fascinating. And and even just the idea that the the goal line is always being moved and sort of never being satisfied, even 
I thought Ward was such an interesting character and I definitely want to talk about him, but he's sort of at the height of literary fame and he's still, you know, not satisfied and very insecure. Um, yeah. So I just thought that was so interesting. And I, I wondered if maybe this started with one of those characters in particular or a certain scene kind of where did this book start for you? Well, before I published this book, I was an aspiring writer. So I certainly had familiarity with the frustrations of being in that state. And that when you are starting out, you have to spend a lot of time working on a book or, or even an article without knowing whether it will ever see the light of day. And it's, it's something that I think I struggled to make peace with. I felt very, you know, even calling myself a writer, I felt strange before I had, you know, a book deal, even though I I don't think that's actually right. But I did feel that. And I did. So certainly my own sort of internal dialogue that I have a lot about what does it mean to be a writer and and all the years that I spent writing this book and I actually wrote a different book before this book that didn't get published you know and I always had this internal dialogue with myself about um when will I feel like a real writer and is this really going to happen and what will you know and I did kind of work those issues into the book um, and gave them to my protagonist, Isabel, though I think our similarities probably end there. She's much more bold and intrepid than I am in in many ways. But um, yeah, so it certainly grew out of my own kind of preoccupations, which I think often make the most interesting writing if you can lean into those. Definitely. And that's where I felt like that parallel to writers and lovers was was so strong where I I just really Mm -hmm. love reading about Mm -hmm. these women who have kind of gone all in on their books and is it going to happen is it not going to happen and I think right it really is a gamble in some ways and I and I feel that way sometimes you know you're putting so much time into something that as you said may never see the light of day and at what point do you say I've spent enough time like I need to walk away like, right. when do I cash in my chips and, and go? And there's always that feeling, I think, and I noticed that with these characters of, you know, but then this will all have been for nothing. So it's just a really interesting dilemma to watch unfold in the pages. And and then, of course, in this case, I thought it was just such an interesting layer that Isabel has seen literary success through her father, which I think makes it all the more difficult that she has, you know, of course him to live up to. And he's this sort of like looming presence in her life. I wondered if there was anyone in particular or even a few authors you had in particular when you're thinking about Ward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Ward in some ways is like a throwback to a kind of writer that I'm not, I'm not sure exists anymore, um, but you know, when I was growing up in the '80s and '90s, my my father's an artist, and my brother, mother writes children's books, and and in their like larger kind of social circle, there were some 
pretty famous writers, pretty famous male writers who, you know, had these kinds of really big egos, big personalities. They wrote big books about, you know, really broad themes. And, and so I did think about them when I was writing Ward and that this kind of writer who feels like, you know, he is almost like um, an intellectual like icon and, and has that kind of voracious ego. And will write books with titles like Manifest Destiny that just seem so kind of, <laughs> you know, like, what does that it even mean? has the mean? fancy but, book you know, parties where he's right. like holding and I, court and yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that that, I think that the industry has like moved away from that. And even in the book, I think he's grappling with the fact that he's kind of from another era, right? Even even by the time we meet him in the book in the, you know, late 2017, 18 um, time So I think, um, you know, I did think about some of the, the male writers I had known when I was um, a child. Uh, and I did think it was interesting, as you say, to, um, you know, think about someone as successful as him. You think like, well, they must feel great and feel really satisfied with their career. But I think for him and probably a lot of really successful people, that's not always true because what makes them successful is the the constant like hunger and drive for more. So I don't know that they ever get to a place of like contentment. Right. I mean, this book in general just got me thinking about trying to enjoy the process more and the journey because, you know, for Ward, it's like as soon as he's published one book, it's like now the pressure is to get out the next book and is it going right. to be as popular? And for right. Isabel, it's like, you know, once you have, it's like once you have that good draft, you have to get an agent. Well, then the bar gets raised, so then you've got to get the editor. And then, oh, even if it does get right. published, is it going to get good reviews? And if it does get good reviews, does it sell well enough? And even after that, it's like, but then you have to follow it up with the next book. It's like, there never is going to be a, right. now everything's great. And, but it was yes. just, I, I loved watching that play out. It's easy to yeah. sort of, And that, yeah. that's something I think, you know, I always think about now with, this is like, I always, for so long, I was like, I just want to get an agent. And then I was like, well, I just want to sell a book. But now I'm like, oh God, I got to write another one. And I, what if it's, you know, <laughs> yep. what if I can't? Like, it's, you know, that it's sort of, you're never really like done and, and feel like, oh, I can just coast. That doesn't really happen. <laughs> yeah. There's no there there when it comes to, yeah, to exactly. writing. I was going to ask too, because it's such an interesting structure. And I wondered, well, first, if you could tell us a little bit about kind of the structure of the book. And if, if you sort of knew that was going to have how you were going to approach it, or mm -hmm. if at one point, like, was it just Isabel in present day, kind of how did that all evolve? So I, I definitely started out wanting to write like multiple viewpoints, because I like books like that. I find it interesting. I like to write men and women, you know, I, I like to kind of have the reader understand this character thinks this is going on, but this character actually thinks this is going on and have the reader kind of get a sense of like these characters, 
don't understand each other, but I understand. Like I, I like that. So, yeah. so I always, I always knew that I wanted to do multiple characters. So I wrote a draft of the book with, you know, Isabel, um, Ward, Claire, and Brian. Even though Claire has passed away, her chapters take place in the past. So, and I had that draft and I thought, you know, I was kind of close to done around February of 2020. And, you know, I gave it to my agent. I had done a few drafts. Like I thought, you know, this is close. You know, going back to the conversation we had before, there's that urge to want to be done. I want to be done. I want to move on to the next phase. And then COVID happened and everything kind of stopped. And I, at that time, my children were two and five. So I stopped writing. I, I didn't, I moved with my family to my in-laws house for 10 weeks and I didn't do any writing really. I, I wrote one article um, and stopped working on the book. I wasn't sure I would ever sell the book because who knew what was going to happen. And then in that September, um, my family and I actually moved to Vermont for a year. Uh, and my kids went back to school in person. And I, all of a sudden, I had some time. So I went back to the manuscript. And when I reread it after the break, I felt that I could see that it needed to have the manuscript, this mystery manuscript that is sprinkled throughout the book needed to be there because I felt it wasn't fair to the reader to talk about this manuscript. Oh, it's amazing. And it's so good without letting them see it. And, and I thought, okay, I have to do that. So I layered that in uh, the, during from like September to it took and, and rewrote some of the book to accommodate that until the spring. So for a few months, I worked on that. And then and then the book really was, you know, done to be submitted. And, and it and then I sold it in, I think, June or July of 2021. I, I love hearing those journeys. I think that's just very real encouraging to sort of hear the twists and turns. And I, I wonder, so with putting in the manuscript and you have the multiple points of view. I just wonder if this is one of those books where you had to have like a wall of post-its or something showing you mm -hmm. the different timelines and storylines and how it's all weaving together. Um, was that part of it difficult to do? Well, I, I generally, I have this strange system where I draft and I kind of keep an outline going at the same time. So I, I have just kind of a really bare bones outline of the chapters and I, so that if I, something occurs to me, I can just put it um, in the outline to remind myself, you need to change this or you need to put this in. So I'm not scrolling through a 300 page manuscript all the time because that is kind of brutal. So I have an outline just with like every chapter and the bullet point, quick bullet points of what needs to happen in that chapter. And then I, um, and then I will, if I need to make a note, 
I will, um, I will put it in the, in the outline. And then when I get to that chapter, you know, I'll check my outline for anything that I, that I needed to do. And, and also, you know, once I was putting in the manuscript, I did have to tweak other parts of the book, of course. Um, is that kind of similar to how you approached revising then? Were you sort of going through the manuscript, putting notes in your outline, and then like going back and addressing the notes? Yes, yes, I did. I mean, yeah. that that I generally like to keep because I don't like to break my like concentration of whatever I'm working on at the moment to go fix something. But, you know, I, but I don't want to forget. So I have to kind of have somewhere to remind myself like, Oh, you know, whatever it is, this character now, um, for instance, when I started writing the manuscript, I changed it so that one of the characters that without giving anything was working on a typewriter and in the, in, so that it would see, you know, so as opposed to writing out a manuscript longhand mm-hmm. to make, you know, to, to so it seemed more likely, you know, it could be that character, but something like that. So I have to remind myself, okay, go through and make sure every reference to handwriting is replaced with um, a typewriter. That that kind of thing. That's interesting. Well, I um I was curious too. I know you mentioned, and I and I can very much relate to this sort of a writing routine being very dependent on when young kids are in school. I wondered sort of about a typical writing day when you do get that time. Sort of what your process is like when maybe when you're drafting, if you're sort of have a goal about a certain number of chapters a week, are you working toward a word count? Are you a plotter or a pantser? Kind of what's that routine and process like for you? Yeah, I mean, I try to just write as much as I can in the morning. I try my best to do my writing first and deal with emails and other things later, you know, now kind of having to promote the book and stuff. It's, it's different, but in general, I try to work as much as I can in the morning and then, you know, leave the afternoon for other stuff and then maybe do some editing at night. And I know you are writing about somebody bringing a debut into the world. So you had sort of already written about that experience. Is there anything that's really surprised you or been different about bringing your own book out? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I didn't realize like how much of like you become your own kind of marketer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which, which is not necessarily the same skill set that got you to write the book, which is basically being an introvert who (laughs) spends a lot of time alone and just working at your computer kind of anonymously but I think you know I've enjoyed that and I've really enjoyed connecting with people who read the book and all of that but I was thinking like oh you know it'll be so sad when I'm just go back to like working on a book but actually I kind of I think I'll look forward to that just having the you know days of just just writing and kind of um being in my own head and that's kind of its own, you know, that that's more pleasurable than I thought when I 
was writing this book, I kept thinking like, uh, you know, I want to be published and I want it, but, but there is something nice about just writing and just, you know, seeing where something goes and having, and having that time that, that I, that I didn't realize I would miss, but I, I, I can see now that I'm going to look forward to being in that space again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it is a very different hat to have to wear. And yes. yeah, I think, I think probably a lot of writers can relate to that. Just wanting to sit with your own writing and have your introvert time and right, and your of, snacks and your yes. sweatpants and just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's just a different kind of day. Yeah. And I know the book got picked for, I think, a New York book club. Did you have to go on TV for that? I did. I did. Yeah. The CBS oh, that's a whole New York other... book club. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole yeah. other thing. What was that experience like? Um, it was great, actually. The They were so nice. Um, Mary Calvi, it's her book club. And she's also a writer and actually wrote a great book called um, If a Poem Could Live and Breathe about Teddy Roosevelt. And I, she was so warm and nice that it, that it made it really like fun and, and not stressful. Good. Well, I would love to hear sort of as you've been on your writing journey and, you know, kind of getting to debut novel, were there any particular kind of resources that you've found particular help, particularly helpful? Like, were you in any writing groups or taking certain writing classes, other writers or authors that have been particularly helpful to you on your way? Yeah. Um, I don't have a formal writing group. I have two friends who um, I give writer friends who I give things to early. Uh, and then Courtney Malm, the writer has a great book called like before and after the book deal. And that was really helpful as I was embarking on this part of the process because I had no idea what to expect. So that was, that was definitely a helpful book to read. I do read sometimes books um, about, you know, like uh, save the cat and, and plotting and that kind of thing. And I do think they're, they are helpful. I also think that you have to go with how you do it. Um, and there really is no secret formula. So, you know, I take what I take what resonates from those books and then, you know, do what I do. Cause it's, you know, I don't think I could ever outline a book from start to finish and then stick to that outline as I wrote that just, I can't imagine that happening, nor would I really want it to, because I think the moments where you think like, aha, I'll change this and I'll do this are kind of the most interesting anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. I think everybody probably has to find their own, their own way. Well, speaking of books, I do always love to hear what authors have been reading themselves lately that they've enjoyed. Are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners? Sure. Uh, I read Flight recently by Lynn Steger Strong, which was excellent. I think everything she writes is just so good. Um, I also read Women Are the Fiercest Creatures, which is a good um, page turner, three female protagonists. 
very in the tech world. That was really interesting. I just started Rebecca Mackay's. I have some questions for you and it's really, it's really pulled me in. I, I have got to get that one to the top of my list. Um, I'm so excited to read that. I was just talking to a couple of friends yesterday that um, both just finished it and were saying how good it was. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I love her great other believers. Book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I really hope that listeners go pick up a likely story at their local bookstore or get those library holds in. I think anybody who either wants a peek into the world of um, writers and um, publishing books, the writing life is really going to enjoy it. And of course, anyone who is an aspiring writer and kind of on that journey, um, it really is just a lot of fun to see that reflected in the pages. So I think people are, are going to really want to pick it up and um, best of luck as you um, do keep bringing the book out into the world. And I don't know if it's too early. Are you able to say what you're working on next? I am working on something and it is going to kind of be in the same space of books. And this one may be set at a private library in New York and um, how women, three women, um, kind of have over overlapping lives at this library. So um, I'm sticking somewhat in the New York literary world, but different, different characters, different setting, but similar, a similar vein. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Pri- private library in New York. I'm sold. That sounds fun. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, that'll, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully this summer having a really productive writing summer. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. My yeah. kids are both in full day camp. So, uh, oh, there you go. We'll, that, hope that, that, we'll hope for the best. <laughs> that'll help. Um, Lily, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much, Laura. It was great to be here. I really loved our conversation. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.